You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a platform we've created to bring the Nordic tech community together. My name is Charlotte Roberts and I'm your host. Okay, so I'd firstly like to say a massive thank you and to everyone for joining today. Um, Of course, Milap and Christian, we're going to be talking about the ethics of AI. Um, So before we we jump into the questions and that sort of thing, um, I'd just like to go around and get some introductions from everybody. So if um, if Christian, if you'd like to go first with your introduction, that would be lovely. Yes, thank you very much, Charlotte. Uh, Yeah, hello, everyone. My name is Christian. I am a civil engineer work with product development and uh, entrepreneurship. I have a short background in a larger Danish manufacturing organization. Well, I am from Denmark as well. And then I think that told me I need to be in the entrepreneurial way instead. So I jumped ship and went into the smallest and most sketchy startup I could find back then. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, I have an approach to say everything agile, scientific method, lean. I, I love all that. I test everything I can and I make sure to running through iter- iterations, pivots, uh, continuously improving. That's kind of what I live by. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a lot into skiing and everything culinary with cocktails, food and whiskey. So if you got another podcast around that, then then let me know. Nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but for, for my role, I work at Valia, uh, a, a company that built a AI SaaS platform, um, matchmaking. So I'm the CTO mm-hmm. and co-founder there. We are stock listed, been that for a year. And we have multiple algorithms and machine learning implemented. The main part is an NLP that works to um, use user uh, requirements of problem statements to find startups that match their behaviors. Uh, I also direct a couple of teams in, in the data team, of course, but then also with data privacy and security. And all of those always end back looking at either the regulations or the ethics around the AIs we built. There's a lot of considerations there. So I'm, I'm very excited about this topic, topic, actually. Yeah, definitely. It definitely sounds like we've got the right guy for the job for uh, for this particular podcast. Um, but not sure about the whiskey podcast. Maybe we'll leave the whiskey for the weekend rather than the podcast. <laughs> That's a deal. <laughs> oh, lovely. Uh, thank you very much for that introduction, Christian. And Milap, if you'd like to introduce yourself, that'd be great. Hey, I am uh, Milap Patel and uh, I work for Ericsson and I'm based in, in Stockholm, but born and raised in Gothenburg. And um, at Ericsson, I'm heading up the enterprise AI team. Uh, and uh, there's a team of about 60 AI professionals, multidisciplinary, uh, where majority of, of the competencies around data science, uh, but also machine learning, engineering, uh, architecture, delivery management, and so on. And um, we primarily focus on everything from you know ideation, problem statement, business case, and kind of understanding all the uh, how how we can apply AI uh, to, to solve uh, different business problems until. And then we run that through projects where we you know, build proof of concepts, um, create the minimum viable product, and then move that into industrialization. And that's where we manage the lifecycle management of the models um, and apply kind of MLOps and, and other methodologies and frameworks to ensure that what we build also is sustained across lifecycle. Uh, the team also uh, that I managed so holds a um, big kind of pool of really competent AI professionals that works in different projects across the company, really. Um, mm-hmm. 
and uh, we our kind of main focus now is you know uh, both to deliver uh, and apply AI, but it's also industrialization. And now we're also moving into building more of AI products and also democratizing um, data science. We call that citizen data scientists right, mm -hmm. as a concept. And uh, that's what I do for a living. Uh, otherwise, um, I live in a small, nice house uh, with the two kids and one wife. And uh, my uh, biggest uh, interest area is, um, is, is I'm, I'm super nerdy about kind of space and the universe. Um, <laughs> and uh, my lifelong dream is to one day stand on the moon and watch <laughs> planet Earth. Wow. So that's what I'm uh, that's what I'm heading for mm -hmm. yeah well yeah you do say people say reach for the stars but in your case you're reaching for the moon so I love that <laughs> <laughs> oh lovely thank you very much for that introduction that was amazing um so yeah I'll jump straight into the questions now um so the first question um Milap, it was your question so how do you measure the value of ethical AI if you'd like to give a bit of background behind that question then then we'll jump right in Hmm. Absolutely. And if I may even uh, elaborate a little bit on what I mean or, or when I speak about kind of ethical AI, um, what is it that we actually are talking about um, as such? Because the concept has uh, a lot of different, uh, it's understood differently, uh, I think, all over and, and what it means. But for for me, it's kind of the practice which kind of guides our design, our development and implementation of the AI solutions to be kind of in compliance with our defined principles and our values. So this is a little bit both soft and hard, right? <laughs> uh, when you talk about ethical AI or responsible AI, as, as we call it within the, within the company I come from, Ericsson. And for us, it's kind of about ensuring that we're building kind of trustworthy solutions that uh, with human centric design, keeping fairness and transparency in mind. And this is kind of the practice that we try to put in place. Um, and speaking about then kind of ethical AI or uh, responsible AI, it, it is something that we'll have to invest into going ahead. It's a no brainer that this would be required. The more we're scaling up AI, the more we we moving towards what you know the terminology called applied AI. Um, the more real the threats becomes uh, to it, so to say. And the ethical AI is a way to manage that, to manage the security, manage the compliance, manage uh, the risks of, of infusing AI into our business flows uh, and our products and our services. And this would require investments, effort, uh, time. Uh, cost and something I've been thinking a lot about that how do you kind of justify the investments uh, going in here and that you need it, it, it is very clear but in a business context you would need to justify the rationale behind investments that you need to do it could either be that fine we invest in this because this was give us x amount or x uh, type of return or which I think in this case is actually that the cost of not doing it is actually what you need to focus on uh, because that's where you're going to find the real rationale behind investing and, and giving this the priority and the focus that it deserves. So hence my question, how do you measure the value uh, that this is going to bring 
and why do you need to invest in it? I think that's a, that's a great question and, a, and an even better introduction on it. Um, I think as soon as you <clears throat> start introducing it, mentioning, mentioning both the, the hard and the soft uh, parameters in it, it's part of also how I reflected on the question in the beginning and sometimes how we look at it. Uh, the idea that it's, it could be it could both be legal and you know kind of data privacy related. Uh, that could be a very you know, tangible measurement around it. The value on that saying we don't infringe or break any rules or end in any kind of trouble. Uh, so the value in one case, as you say, it can be avoiding the negatives. It's it's not always a very easy value to measure and therefore also get adoption from in an organization. Uh, we all know that the last on the checklist for most people is those legal documents and the, the, the requirements and terminologies and GDPR and all that stuff, but it's very important and it helps a company positively in terms of public relations and all that. So I think part of the, the very tangible is, of course, not infringing on someone's, or at least not, not ethically treating someone, someone wrong with the output of the AI, the decision making, right? And, so that's that's part of the the the, the tangible element, and and of course the intangible ones are, are also the way it's it's impossible to measure in an organization, but it's going to be very much. Do you can you look yourself in the eyes when you're done building this or implementing this or getting it out there? It's it it may sound very fluffy or or soft, but it's it's part of I think what we should drive a lot of business decisions. It's a little bit like the triple bottom line or the ESG or SDGs and all that stuff that comes out. You know, build a, a business sustainably and ethically that applies to AI uh, as, as anything else, because it's just another arm on decision-making and we, we don't get to go free just because a, a machine made the decision because we made the machine in the end. Right. And um, so at least that's, that's how I approach it. But, but the, the practical measurement, I, I would like to hear uh, if you actually have any, any cases from, from what you're dealing with or any, any elements that you measure or look at. Thanks, Christian. I think it's a very good reflection uh, th that you make, and uh, and and exactly, you kind of need to look at it from from different angles, the soft one and the hard ones, and you may need to make it something tangible out of it. And and I, I don't have uh, the, the the simple answer to exactly how all this could be done, but I can just ex exemplify through some of the uh, kind of frameworks or ways of working that we've established. Um, to really understand the, if you don't do this, what's the cost? You know, uh, what's the consequence? Um, and as I spoke about before, we 2021 for us was all about kind of building the capabilities around AI industrialization. You know, the entire lifecycle management. Um, so in our flow, how it works is that after you do the ideation, you understand the feasibility and the applicability of, of AI ML. You kind of build up. Uh, a business case, right? I mean, what 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 is the intended value that's going to come out out of the application, the solution, the product that you build? You walk through, you go through the entire process, and then it comes into it's industrialized when it goes live. Uh, one thing that we have uh, built within the industrialization is kind of the entire monitoring parts of the solutions that are they uh, delivering on on the requirements? You know, even after some time, after a month, after three months, after six months or so on so you completely get a grip of that is it is it realizing the promises that we had up front and if it's not 
then that becomes an interesting part. What's the reason why it's not performing? Why or, or you know doesn't have the output that it should? It doesn't have the adoption that it should. Um, is is not generating the business value ultimately that it should. And this analysis we do through a kind of a governance body uh, that that has different capabilities, uh, different skills that looks into all of these models and, and evaluates. And this is where the ethical AI comes into part because where we missed, you know, these parts. If if we manage to create some kind of bias in the solutions that it's not trustworthy, um, that uh, you know the data that we're using is not good enough, then ultimately the the outcomes are are, are going to be uh, bad. So to say, people will not trust it, people will not use it, and it will not generate the value. And that's you know say that where we can identify the problems of not having this the responsible AI practices. Uh, perhaps figured out up front, so to say. So there you kind of can get a measure of that. Would we have solved these things up front, then uh, we wouldn't have this drop, you know, from or the delta here from the realized value versus the expected or enabled value. So that's kind of a practical way to look, but it's a retro looking, right? You look into yeah. that when the problems are secured, but then the uh, here, what you need to do, of course, is to feed, you know, that back and learn from that and ensure that you apply this, the right practices up front in the next and, and the next and the next use case until you don't hit the same kind of problems then. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. It's, you're you're hang, hammering it in with the, with the retrospective element. It's kind of a simple thing as a marketing campaign. You, you don't really know what's going to happen until you try it out and then you can iterate and look back on it or any other kind of production element when you push it out there. And I think, of course, identifying and having those touch points and measurable success criteria, one of them being, you know, are we avoiding bias? Are we, are we treating the data subjects correctly? Are we, you know, are we looking for outliers, whatever else that will be right, required for the model? Um, and then as, as part of that, are we evaluating the ethical aspect somehow? And that could, of course, be done based on, you know, almost other cases of AI that has gone wrong or implementations that doesn't work either internally or outside. But especially when we work with, with humans, we can look at stuff like credit scoring or criminal system uh, or, you know, HR, all of these working with very closely, very directly with, with data subjects that are people who can be treated unethically based on bias. Um, and then those kind of parameters, uh, sets and elements is something that we, we could try and represent in, in, in our success criteria for any kind of implementation this with the, with the AI implementation. Um, at least have a checklist that say, have we tested for, or are we aware of these kind of pitfalls? And then as you say, when we put this into production, or in, uh, yeah, then then it's going to be reflecting. Did, did we hit what we want to do, and and can we measure some kind of difference based on on the uh, ideal success and maybe where we landed, and can we apply that or, or kind of analyze ourselves to a, a course for those kind of outcomes? But it is uh, very retro, mm. uh, which is which is an interesting conundrum for all these solutions. So and and it's an even. Sorry, Christian. Sorry. And you inspired a thought in my head now, and it's uh, such a good remark you make because, uh, right, when you, if you anyways do this in, in retro, but you have a lot of mechanisms to do that, right? But I'm just thinking that as a, a, a kind of AI involves and, and you get AI helping AI, <laughs> if you get me right, uh, yeah. we could potentially going forward, you know, have, we could potentially, you know, 
identify those patterns much earlier going ahead, right? I mean, the more we learn, the more we train our our systems, uh, you know, driven by 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 some kind of AI uh, behind it, so to say, to identify these patterns much earlier, so that you could actually solve the problems much earlier. Then that uh, you might not need to be doing this so much retro going ahead, so to say. But I think mm. the starting point is to look from the end and then, uh, you know, consequently sort of, sort of move uh, earlier into the value chain uh, by the learnings that you have. Yeah, for sure. And it's, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite philosophies in, in terms of the whole test as you build or go be, be agile. Don't do a waterfall, plan out two years of building the perfect machine and then release it and see it fail dramatically because something was not thought into it. Uh, that's something I, I work a lot with our data scientists is kind of merge the whole where product developers are, are very good at it. Uh, two week sprints, you know, we we go from design to implementation and then we send out a red button and we see if people click on it. Um, but in, in data science and all that stuff, it's it's a little more scientific and tinkering of an approach. And if we can if we can merge those two and get a little inspiration on the fact to say let's let's build an MVP, let's go very very low key, simple, maybe in a target audience or a test area focus group or whatever, and test it. And then we can use that retrospective learning on a smaller case without all the bells and whistles and the full implementation and iterate on it. Right? I think that's uh, maybe where we so so we measure the value based on that and we see what we have to measure on when we start the iteration process. I think that's a, that's a good. It also sounds like you're doing that uh, with, with your whole setup with, you know, before doing implementation out there, but uh, at least what I, what I like uh, thinking. Definitely. Definitely. So I suppose that um, leads on quite nicely um, to Milap's other question. You know, you touched on it slightly there, but how do you measure your success with ethical AI? Yeah, um, yeah, but I think the question uh, is kind of uh, responded to some extent here already. And uh, I mean, if you can prove the value of what um, what ethical AI does, then uh, that is kind of a measure of, of your success as well. I mean, ultimately, it's about the quality uh, of, of the products that you build, uh, right? That's going to be the absolutely most defining uh, part here. And I think uh, you know what we just spoke about, Christian and I. I think it's kind of uh, hammers just that that question that you have to get it right, but you won't get it right from the first time. And it would have to take its natural evolution, uh, where we'll have to learn by by doing the mistakes, and that must be allowed uh, to some extent. But the most important part is that we learn and and we don't do the same things, and that we, um, you know, consequently can sort of so. Uh, manage the risks, the threats, the problems earlier for, for every time we do it again, so to say. I think that's, as the essence, the key takeaway for me, yeah. at least. What do you say, Christian? Do you agree? I think, um, yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. I don't think we will have much disagreement here, but, uh, <laughs> but I think I could add a little bit on it in, in terms of, so Again, we need some kind of comparison. Maybe it was touched upon before, but but um, if we look at how to measure success or how we measure the value, we can we can kind of look at the, the I sometimes call it the human intelligence side of it, or you know, post uh, pre AI, 
So kind of uh, how how did we solve these problems before we had an AI looking at it? It's not like we haven't faced these problems before. They are of course more complicated. They're they're moving faster. There's a lot more data involved, but we still treat it, you know, human data or uh, problems or data subjects in in a similar way. We had decision models. We had credit scoring before the AI went and did it for us, and and all that stuff. So I think we can we can look at that and and look for the examples, the bias, the success criteria, and then then say. Well, just as we measure success in an AI based on how accurate is it, how does it, you know, is there any false, false positive or, or negatives and all that stuff, then we can also say, well, what are the what are the failures and therefore the opposite success of, of unethical, you know, treating data subjects from, from other examples, if it's from human intelligence or past setups, and then can we set up a test for that? And just as we measure efficiency, can an AI recognize an image? Um, is it a dog or cat? We could also look at is it uh, you know is it treating is it is it uh, biased based on gender or race or background? Um, and that could be another measurement for success in the AI so overall. So we don't have to put ethical uh, the ethical success on the side, but it becomes yet another parameters when we run our our tests, when we push it to production, when we look at the difference between the current and the new model. We can say hey. Uh, we we actually also have these three measurements that that say something about how we treat you know bias in in different kind of ways, uh, and sometimes that actually has a negative impact on the success of an AI. I mean, we've all seen iRobot, and the way to keep the humans and to to not kill each other is by killing all of them, right? <laughs> it's a hardcore example, but the same can be applied to an AI. So if we don't have these measurements on you know categorize uh, felons, well, give them all a high sentence, then they won't come out again. So if we don't build the right measurements and the right perspectives on it, then we will end up in a situation where the AI is not successful, where success also includes uh, the ethical actions, right? Very good. Yeah, I completely agree. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, adding on to what Christian said before, I don't think there's going to be much disagreement on um, on this call. <laughs> Definitely on this podcast, uh, but no, that um, that leads us on quite nicely to um, Christian's question then. Uh, so Christian, your question was, how do you practically approach and solve uh, potential problems of bias that naturally occur in the data we use for our model slash applications? If you'd like to give a bit of background behind that question, that'd be great. Yeah, of course. Um, and I think it, it, of course, has roots to, to our already discussed points. But my, my approach here is, and, and let's, let's try and keep it not too technical, so we don't need to look at, at models for validation and all that. But what I'm, what I'm thinking with this question is, since bias is in all data, it's all over the place, and, and basically we are, as humans, the worst at bias or the best. It's actually a, a good skill to have to act quickly on something, but it turns out sometimes in, in what we call objective to be a negative. So since we, we know bias is there, we will, you will never have perfect data. Uh, that kind of sets a warning light if you want to be idealistic about it, and especially if you want to have an ethical AI to say, well, well can we, what data can we use? How do we have to treat it? What should we be aware of before we start training the models and applications? Because when we go back to also, Milab, what you're saying, it starts all the way back from identifying the data and the input of the whole production of the models. Uh, so if we start, doing this wrong or not considering bias, then we might as well end up, uh, we might have a product that fails at the end. So maybe you have some kind of setup in, in, in your organization and the flow on how we 
we have these checks or points to avoid the, the or at least deal with the bias, be aware of it. Hmm. Such a good question, uh, uh, Christian. And I mean, you're right on to it, right? Bias happens naturally and we will never be able to fix it completely because we, you know, we, the amount of data is growing tremendously and uh, the the data is only as good as uh, the way it's produced, so to say. And uh, so we, we will never be able to fix the entire root cause and, you know, that the data is, is good enough, but uh, we'll have to then understand, you know, what can be done about it, I guess. And, and that's where your question, I think, is absolutely wonderful. And I mean, if I may just start again a little bit of from a definition perspective and because it kind of helps me at least clear my thoughts a little bit around this, but um, you know, how does uh, AI kind of bias happen, right? Even if you see it from, it's basically from three areas that I can think of. And the first is kind of that it happens from, you know, when you frame the problem, because as a, a data scientist, you would, you know, you would kind of create a deep learning model uh, is to when you create it is to decide what you actually want to achieve. You want to frame the problem. So it's really important that you understand that part really well, that what is I'm going to solve? And then hence, you know, what is it that I need for it? Because then you would automatically be on set the direction and hence uh, hopefully get help you into the next phase, which would be kind of collecting the data. And collecting data would be super important to get the right type of data so that it is as per the context, as it is as per the environment uh, where you need to create it. And hence also then taking off, you know, some of the uh, the risks uh, of, of bias that otherwise could get in because it's not in the right context, right? And then the third part would be preparing uh, the data itself uh, to be applied for, you know, when you start building up your algorithms uh, and so on on top of it. And all these three, uh, you know, areas uh, could all potentially be creating uh, the bias uh, to, to, your, to, to, to this. But that is the kind of the, the data part of it. But if you even take it one broader about, about that, you would have, you could have data bias, but you could have uh, kind of model bias, you know, as a result of suboptimal model development or you can even have operational bias as a result of you know, external changes or different type of interactions that happens to it. So bias is, 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 uh, is, uh, is always gonna be there, but I, I think one thing that we are looking into this uh, is to prevent this kind of unconscious bias is through having controls of data models and operations. I mean, create those frameworks and and get those controls in place. So incorporating kind of mitigation strategies to allow for kind of you know, diversity, equal benefits of individuals and a fair outcomes that they are free from discrimination across the entire AI life cycle. These kind of strategies, you know, needs to include the uh, identification of the entity, you know, accountable for the decisions made by the AI or by the people who operate the solution. This is kind of the principle definition uh, that, that we use here. Mm. Um, how do you see this from, from that perspective and why do you think it happens, Christian? Then yeah, I think uh, you're definitely touching or uh, heading it in, in the right direction. And I, and I actually, I really like that you pulled it one step further back before from the, the, the you know, 
the modeling and also the like it, it can actually both be the model and the operational uh, setup that's the problems and i and i agree it's it's it all starts with awareness it all starts with you know that's where i think if you if you apply apply a scientific method or approach to it which i think most people do and should it's going to be very much based on the we, we might have a hypothesis so we have some kind of setup and in that we need to set our requirements for success and failure and of course those include uh, looking at the possible failures of the bias and all that uh, so i think that's kind of one of the framings to look at and then building back to the whole iteration and the flow from uh, from the agile approach uh, i think sometimes i use if i have to to uh, introduce this, I'd use the IBM's uh, data science methodology, which is yet another iteration on how to iterate through a hypothesis and problems and then apply it a little more to data science. So you start with the business understanding and the approach and kind of build that out there and say, we have, a, you know, we have a hypothesis and we have some kind of idea and we want this approach to do it. And then it goes through the requirements of, of you know, what data do we need? How do we collect it? How do you understand it? And then into um preparation and modeling and, and finally evaluation deployment and feedback and then iterate back again so you kind of frame the pro problem in some kind of um, settings where you have some kind of variables you have some kind of possibilities to to both test but also say this is not working this is not significant something's going wrong and and in that whole framework the the bias needs to be part of that so it's part of the, the input of the business understanding and the approach and of course, the evaluation and the, the, the measurements on that. So I think that's, um, that's at least how I approach that. And then, of course, I approach it very much and saying, well, again, how do we, if we look back to the human intelligence side of the, 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 the coin, uh, what are the pitfalls? What are the, what are the elements to be aware of? And if we look at the data sets, the training, um, we could have some kind of idea based on how it's generated, what bias might be hidden, what what elements might be there. So of course we can't go and completely mangle the data, but there's some kind of cleaning and outlier analysis and, and some testing and validation that needs to happen before we even use it as an input, uh, which is maybe a little more practical, but I think it's very important to keep that in mind that the, you don't just slap an AI on top of data and then hope for the best. You you actually need to do a lot with the data before that because even you know even the best of AI or any like any kind of AI is only as good as its input, right? So that's mm. part of where where it starts. Exactly. It's um, exactly, and if I just continue the thought from uh, from that, I mean, I mean because AI bias is is kind of difficult to fix. Uh, because of a lot of different reasons, and you know, based on our own human intelligence, as you're referring to as well. Um, I mean, some areas, you know, that are very difficult when it comes to AI bias, uh, and what you need to know about a thing to practically be, you know, be able to solve it is that there will be you no know, the unknown unknowns, right? I mean, things we don't know uh, upfront, and we only know it once we actually deploy the models, and then it becomes very apparent to you. So. Here it needs, you need to be quick, I think, and you know, back to what we discussed a little bit earlier uh, in this discussion was that you need to have a good practice for, for monitoring your solutions and to be actionable, to take the right uh, decisions when you have, you know, model drifts or data drifts or whatever it is. Uh, so, you know, understand that it will always be the unknown unknowns. Um, another thing I'm thinking about 
practice to have good processes behind it because uh, if you think about it you know when you have the kind of deep learning models uh, are, are you know when they are tested for performance before they get deployed this would be a great opportunity for catching the bias but in reality you don't really do that way and or because testing you know can run rather be that you split the data uh, before training you know and and then you you test it you know randomly so to say more in, in different sure. data sets and so on and then you don't get the full picture really so you know you need to have processes designed to catch bias uh, and that is something you need to you know apply and deploy before and another thing i think is that is really important to have a good context you know social context um now, I read a really good article uh, around these things that, you know, got really got me inspired that um, it's super important that uh, we know, kind of, you know, that we frame the problem in a way and that we understand that what is the social context of, of that, because it, it is within that social context that this solution is going to uh, work and, and the bias uh, can really, you know, we'll, you, you would have a lot of risks if you don't understand the social context of it. Um, so that's, uh, I mean, to, as an example, if you deploy, you build a, a solution for a certain area, say that it's finance forecasting, and and then you take that and, and put it into some other forecasting uh, where you need it for, it might not be cash collection, but you'd be forecasting for um for, for your inventory or, or or you know in your in your supply chain then the social and the context of that has completely changed hence the sure. data will never be as good now this was not the best example but you understand the the data we, we will suddenly will not have the right social context and then you'll get the wrong type of output so important to get in the right place yeah it's true it's a uh, it's always dangerous when we have specialists working on something and not understanding the implications on it because you might mm. be the best data scientist and, and have build a really good implementation but as you say especially as you, perfect with the framing the social context and how that those that impact uh, yeah. that's uh, had, very important i spoke with uh, a, a, a very prominent leader uh, in ericsson who's right now uh, kind of digitalizing a lot of the, you know some of the key parts in our talent acquisition and uh, when I spoke with her about, you know, the future of, of this and then how we how we're going to run this uh, and, and, and so on. And she was telling me that, hey, Mila, you know, I would pay anything to get a data scientist that has a very strong HR background because <laughs> that person would have such a good you know, social context or so to say in, in, in this term again. So but would really understand what creates the problems, what creates the bias, what creates the risks, you know, because you have a completely good understanding of the actual business process. So uh, I think that's where we're moving towards more and more. We are marrying kind of the business context with the AI and the technology context. Yeah, agreed. agreed. Uh, I mean, Moneyball might be a good example for the opposite with baseball, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I... But I totally agree, uh, and it's also uh, like my role as a CTO. I, I obviously I'm not the one coding anything. I'm not nearly skilled enough as my junior data scientists, but I do spend a lot of energy and time kind of framing and putting in context the the problems we have and the the solutions we're trying to achieve. It's it's basically my role to to help them, you know, understand the context for the problem that's being built. Um, I also thought if we want to pull it a little to a little into the ethical and the, the you know the less hard uh, framing, then when we talk about 
the bias and the problems of an AI. Um, if, if we want to do a, a human analogy here, then we, we don't expect if we, you know, educate someone or train someone to deal with a problem, which is basically what we are, you know, simplified doing with AI. We, you know, we teach based on training data, but then we send them out in the world and deal with unknown, unknown unknowns, I should say. If we have a kid or someone we raise with different problems, you know, deal with situations like this, you have, you know, seen experience, we don't really go and lose our minds. I mean, we, at least we shouldn't if they screw up in an unknown situation. That's understandable. Uh, but of course, the more data you have, the more experience you get through, the better you become and the, the better you become to deal with those unknown unknowns. But what we should have, uh, both with with people, but also with the AI, is to have that feedback loop or that option to say, oh, something went wrong. Uh, those fail safes or those checkers or that hotline to call if you're really uh, in problems, uh, then, then there should be something to catch that and then improve. We all keep learning and the same should uh, apply to our, to our models. Uh, and we all have the, the option to screw up, but we have a society and we have friends and family around us that catch it. Uh, so in, a, in an ideal implementation, we allow bias to, and we know that bias will ultimately result in bad results, but we also have our ways and approaches to deal with it and we accept it uh, because nothing is, is perfect if we should be that philosoph philosophical, right? Absolutely. Love that. Well, we've got time now just for um, one last question then. Um, so the last question is, how do you identify the consequences of your AI solutions, direct and indirect? Um, so if Christian, if you want to jump in with that question first, that'd be great. Yeah, sure, I'll try. Um, I think, of course, the direct, we touched upon that a lot in terms of, you know, your tests, your elements, you pull it from your, your training sets or from the human intelligence, or however you frame it, you look at what are, what's, what's the playing field, what is the framework, uh, what are success criteria, and then we, we hopefully have measurements on all of them, potentially also iterate and go through it. But I like the indirect element, that's a little more, um, now we're on waters where, since we apply something that's very effective, that reaches a lot of data, we might not have examples for how that would impact it before. Um, and from that, I mean, AI doesn't solve everything, but there's there's elements on, on explorative uh, analysis, unsupervised learning, approaching the data and the problems and the situations, maybe even simulating them and then looking at those outcomes um, as, as objectively or without the, the ideal end goal in mind, but just saying, okay, with this data, what do we see if we group it based in different groups, if we're doing a credit scoring uh, or a financial analysis, instead of saying, let's use this based on the fixed groups we already have, then let's look at how the, the AI would categorize it. How would an algorithm position this in, in buckets and brackets and all that? Uh, and are we actually approaching this with the full knowledge of the problem? Uh, are we aware of all the both direct and especially the indirect consequences of an AI solution? So it's not only can we solve it from where we are at right now, our perspective, but can we use these tools to get a better perspective before we solve it? I think that's at least where I I stand with that. I don't know, Mila, if I if I'm in the if, if you agree with me, maybe it would be time for a different <laughs> different opinion. <laughs> uh, I agree with you, but I'd like to address the question a little bit differently, or um, so I'll give a little bit of nuance to. To your to your response, um, 
the question, how do you identify the consequences of your AS solutions direct and indirect? And for me, it is very important that we know what we are trying to achieve. Because again, you know, uh, uh, the consequences of these solutions needs to be related or the way your AS solution acts, works, uh, performs, need to be in line with uh, what it was designed for. You know, you frame the, the problem, um, you you collected the and you prepared and collected the right type of data. You build the right algorithms and then you deploy the models, right? And and, and this is a, a bit of a problem because I think we are not very clear still always with what we want to achieve when it comes to um, mm. you know AI and mm. the the expectations on it sometimes are beyond you know <laughs> what is can be called realistic or even, you know, pragmatic. So um, here I think it's very, very important to know what do you intend to do with your solutions? What, why did you design it in the first way? What problem were it supposed to solve? Uh, what performance what is expected to give? Uh, what was the outcomes uh, that we needed to have? And knowing that at all time should be kind of the basis for understanding then uh, you know how your AI solutions are performing then and the consequences of them. Um, I think this is going to be very very important. And then you could of course bucket this down into what is you know the direct impacts and the indirect impacts, which I think mm. Christian you gave a very good flavor to. That's a very good point. I it reminds me of uh, sometimes my role in this company uh, is to say when we can't use AI uh, because it's a little bit on the case that it it's not really anymore. I think we are on the way down from the hype curve and getting you know those tangible implementations. But it used to be very much you know let's throw AI into everything. Uh, we actually in our company we treat uh, information from startups uh, and and you know serve them to our customers. And for a while, the only thing we saw was AI, everything from building materials to, you know, uh, products for children. And that's a good point. Um, success criteria and all the way back, is it is it even relevant? Or if it's relevant, why is it relevant, as you say? Um, so that's a, that's a very important uh, point to touch upon that if we don't frame it, if we don't frame how we succeed, then we'll, you know, we won't be able to measure and we might end up infringing on both ethics and even having a very bad success rate. So that's a that's an important place to start. Uh, what are we trying to achieve? And then we can go into the toolbox where sometimes that's AI and sometimes it's different models and drilling down into having something into production and then reflecting. I I think that's a good model. And exactly, and I uh, and I think that that's if if we know what is supposed to achieve, then we know what consequences are intended and what consequences are unintended. And once those unintentional consequences hits that's when it should flag, you know, it should be uh, some red lights popping up <laughs> um, somewhere. So that's when you really need to act and understand that is this, uh, is this related to your ethical AI uh, of some sort and, uh, and why is that happening? And then you learn. And as we, I think the theme has been today a little bit that learn it and keep on learning uh, until yeah. you stop doing those mistakes. Exactly, and I think uh, when with, with identifying and the consequences, as you say, the, the whole with the indirect and the direct, I think uh, it's also very important to measure both for success, but also for failure, and then keep on, as you're saying, measuring at the end. It, it's never concluded, and when you deploy, it's actually where you start seeing 
the grant data set. Uh, until then, you've only used training data. So now you're in a situation where you actually get never the full picture, but a lot bigger of a picture. And that, that's a place where you are able to identify um, everything that, that could go, you know, every consequence, whether it's good or bad. Uh, and the bad ones are based on the question, of course, very important to keep in mind because you have a, you have an, you know, a, a you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, and, and especially when you implement AI, then yeah, I just pulled a, 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 an Uncle Ben on you. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, Milak, do you have anything else to add just before I go ahead and, and stop the podcast there? Uh, I mean, as a general point. Solid. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, if I if I can wrap up just in a, in a few words, I, I think this is a super interesting area. Uh, we need to get this right, or we're gonna create a lot of damage, and we might even kill the fun of what uh, all the greatness that AI can can really bring to to our lives, to the business context, and and uh, you know, and, and to us as people. So, I think you know, for me, if I boil it down. Ethical AI is around four areas, uh, really, that we need to get right. It's around fairness. I mean, preventing unconscious bias uh, through controls of data, models, and operations. It's about it being trustworthy. Then all AI solutions and systems need to be reliable. It should not you know, harm the people or the environment in which it operates. Um, so it needs to be you know, safe and respect for privacy and integrity um, and you know, data protection, security, and so on. The third part is that it is explainable. Uh, so it's important that you know, all systems are understandable and provides transparency of how data is gathered and stored and how AI models are trained and how decisions were reached. Um, and the last part is that it's human-centric. And this is probably the most important one. You know, AI systems really need to be inclusive, ensuring that it's a human-centric design to empower, complement, and augment us humans, you know, in an intuitive manner, not replacing, but building our further on our abilities that would be my last yeah. words of wisdom <laughs> yeah i love that thank you very much for that conclusion christian do you have anything else to add just before i go ahead and start the podcast yeah i think that's a perfect that's a perfect ending of saying you know following these rules these four principles around ethical ai and then just ending it up by saying as we see in many other fields with whether it's gdpr or or now actually in the EU, EU we have the, the ethical AI or the AI Act. If we don't follow these principles of ethical AI, if we don't look at AI and say we also need to be ethical, we will see law enforcement come in and try and fix it for us. And I think all of us in all the businesses prefer to do it our way and do it right than having someone and following a lot of rules and, and regulations on it because that's you know just limitations. So it's not a choice well it is but i think all of us should and would prefer to treat these solutions ethically and implement them like that than having regulations to follow 